0: This mini bonus episode of POMCAST is sponsored by our Christmas party main sponsors, The Fibre Company. Founded in 2003, The Fibre Company is an independent yarn producer that originally spun and hand-dyed their yarns
1: in a small textile mill on the coast of Maine in New England. From those humble beginnings to today's global brand now based in the UK... The Fibre Company works with a variety of producers and artisans continuing to create yarns that delight and inspire the enthusiast maker. So thank you Fibre Company for sponsoring our Christmas party
0: and this bonus podcast. Woo-hoo! Hello and welcome to this Bonus episode of the POMcast. I'm Lydia Gluck and I'm here for the second time this month with the lovely Sophie Scott.
1: Hello. Hello, Sophie. Hello. So, we're calling this little bonus the mini feature Mm -hmm. uh, Short Rose. So, you've got a short rose episode just (laughs) inserting a little extra wedge of fabric of audio goodness into your knitting lives and ears.
0: (laughs) Yes, indeed, we are. So, uh, yeah, we're very excited to be bringing you uh, this little bonus with an interview. And a top three, which we'll tell you more about in a moment. But before that, we can tell you a little bit about our Christmas party. Oh, hey. I love Christmas. Do you?
1: Christmas loves you too. Oh. <laughs> hey. Hey. You- and parties? I also like parties, yes. Do you like browsing of yarn? Yes. Do you like having a little drinky? Yes. Listening to live music? Always. Hanging out with all the knitting folk and <gasps> people who like this as They're well. my favourite folks. You need to get yourself to the Pom Pom Christmas party. You do indeed. So this year will be our fourth
0: yeah, yeah. annual Pom Pom Christmas party here in London. Um, and it will be at 4749 Tanner Street, which is a lovely old uh, building. Tannery, perhaps? That's, well, or, no, it is. It's, yeah.
1: it's a, it used to be a Victorian tannery, hence the name... Tanner Street. <laughs> exactly,
0: uh, which is down near London Bridge. So if you are in London, then do come along. We will have fun, beautiful things to buy. We will have live music. We will, There will be uh, drinking involved, that's for sure. Um, and there's lots more about that on our website. And for those of you that can't make it this year, you'll be with us in spirit.
1: Mm-hmm. and uh, of spirit.
0: Exactly. And we look forward to hanging out with you
1: guys some other time soon. Yes. www.pompommag.com to get your tickets. Indeedy. So for this bonus uh, episode, cast your mind back to the beginning of October Mm when we went to see Yarn, the movie. Mm -hmm. And we spoke to Christian Aurora, who's Mm -hmm. the writer and executive producer, Mm -hmm. and Heather Millard, who's the producer. And I say we, uh, Lydia had laryngitis at the time. (laughs) I
0: did. I lost my voice for almost an entire week. Yeah. And that included the weekend in which we... uh, involved in this lovely screening (laughs) yeah so uh, there was a screening uh some of you guys were there i know uh screening at hackney picture house which isn't so far from pphq london Mm -hmm. um and there was a little pop-up market and uh, vicky howell was there with her new yarn and did a lovely intro uh for the film so she did the intro and sophie and i were uh, supposed to interview uh christian and heather together That's a fun little rhyme. Um, But yes, I was mute at the time. So I was on sound monitoring and thumbs up, GT.
1: So we had Lydia doing that, which is excellent. So Yarn the Movie, if you uh, haven't heard us talk about it in previous podcasts, it's a film that sort of celebrates uh, people who use yarn as the medium in Mm -hmm. their life. Yes. Yes. if you are interested in seeing the film, you didn't get to see it. Uh, we recommend going to www.yarnfilm.com mm-hmm. for more info. Uh, you can also request a screening, see where indeed. one's going to be. Yeah, you can pre-order the digital, uh, you know, thing of the film. Mm-hmm. Well, not the digital purchase. What would it be? The <laughs> digital ethereal. Uh, can you can download it. We can purchase. Yeah, you can purchase it to oh. pre-order it to download it. I think it's cool
0: yes hey so when there'll be lots of information on that website uh and even if you haven't seen the film i think it's an interesting interview um but hey maybe if you haven't seen it this is a good opportunity to try and see it yeah before you listen but hey guys as if you're gonna wait to listen to us
1: come on so coming up uh this is live at hackney picture house yeah start
2: the film? OK, well, I'm going to have to fess up here. I, I don't have a background in yarn. I don't, I don't need it. I'm going to I'm <laughs> crochet. Um, I'm going to confess that right off the bat. Um, no, I mean, my... my my, my the, the way the idea came about, um, because all films start from somewhere, but the way the film came about was actually me reflecting on um, the show that many of you, I imagine, um, may have watched or would have heard of called the Great British Bake Off. And... Um, I was thinking about, well, you know, what can, what, what is equally, like, ordinary that everybody can do, like baking, um, and uh, that could become mainstream? And I just knit knitting, and I was having a cup of coffee with Ella, um, actually in Finland, she was over from Iceland, and I was, I, we were both at a film festival, and uh, I said, oh, I got this idea to do something about, um, about knitting, I didn't even call it yarn, doing something about knitting, because I think it could be as mainstream as, as baking, um, and there seems to be lots of art around it, uh, what do you think? And she said, great idea. And then the next thing I knew, she raised all the money for it, and then we were off making <laughs> the film. So, if, you know, I'm, I, I suppose I can thank the Great British Bake Off for, um, for having brought us here to do.
3: <coughs> and Heather, what, how are you, uh, what's your background with yarn? I don't knit or crochet, although I'm learning at the moment but my mum knits <laughs> and she's here oh, hi. and she's also crocheting as well, so I've, I've, yeah, been... but she's I've all... Yes. I was, I was, was going to, was... to say, you are not good <laughs> knitwear, so I was like, exactly. just curious <laughs> and I've always been on, on my way to learning to crochet or knit but I've never really given myself the time, I suppose and now I I really want to good.
1: You're busy promoting a movie at the moment, but soon yeah, <laughs> Well, it's a good marketplace on, here, so, uh, it hear, so it get stocked up. Uh, so the film has such a wonderful range of artists and creatives and very inspiring range of people. How, how do you start uh, the process of narrowing down and finding who was going to be involved in the film?
3: I think the the very beginning, at least, when Christian and I had this discussion in Finland, we were just sending each other photographs and links that we were finding on the internet of interesting things that were happening with yarn, and that's really how it started. And then we started to narrow it down to people that we thought would be interesting to, to feature in a film. And then we started developing, and we visited Olek in Poland quite early on. We visited Tina in Iceland, although I'm based there. Christian came over, and and we soon fell in love with the four characters that we have in the film.
2: And I think I think what they all sort of had in common was that they were all um, travellers in some way, and I think that was important for the. For the film. It's also, um, I mean for a start, a film needs, you know, we wanted to show different bits of the world and it shows that, it, it showed that yarn is um, and and this this art and this craft is quite a universal thing. Everybody does it in different forms sometimes um, around the world. We wanted to reflect that and so we also needed people who didn't stay home so much and and did get out and, and go and do things and I think that <clears throat> that was how we narrowed down the people that we chose Oleg in particular who lives out of a suitcase really and uh, is traveling everywhere she's nominally based in in Brooklyn but if you follow her on instagram she's very entertaining on instagram um, uh, you'll always find her in different places and uh, you know having people who were who were doing things and doing things in public um, was really important for us because that's what that's what provides the stuff in
3: the film. And we also really wanted to have characters that um, complement one another but also contradict one another and have a conflict within the film and that's really why we narrowed down to these four in particular.
1: Interesting. Yeah, there's a good global spread which is very nice to see. Um, So at the beginning of the film, uh, Tina, 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 sorry, Uh, she sort of sets the tone almost by saying, you know, a woman knits and so many women throughout history who've knitted uh, when a man does it everyone gets excited and then there is obviously there's uh, chaps in the film as well but it sets the theme almost there's a very strong female force within the, within the creative uh, you know, practices that people have was that a conscious decision or how do you think that lends itself to the film?
3: I think initially when we were developing the film we were not restricting ourselves to just wanting to focus on women in, in this area but um Actually, the four characters that we found, we thought would make the best film, so that's why we selected them. It wasn't because we wanted to make a film with only women in, but it... Well,
2: yeah, I mean, it, it you know, they, they, they fit together, I think Britain has got a bit of a, um, has, has had a bit of a knitting history, particularly a knitting history with men. There's, um, uh, some people may have heard of Kef he who's actually an American that was based... You've got the
1: right character to drop that name, yeah. <laughs> and,
2: um, and I think there was even a, the, uh, the BDC did a knitting series um, in the mid-60s, and that was hosted by a logo. Maybe not so surprising, because so many things were hosted by a bloke that point um, And I think in, in, in Iceland, um, uh, knitting up until relatively recently, um, like in the last hundred years, was done by men. 150 years was done by men because it was fishermen knitting, you know, either repairing their nets or knitting their own sweaters. So, you know, I think, I think, sorry, that's maybe a, a tangent. I think um, the, those characters do hold together. We weren't trying to make an explicitly, let's call it, feminist film, um, but I think it was interesting to hear what what Tim said about it because, um, you know. Those issues are, are in the film: issues of whether it's uh, a, a woman's craft or, or not. Um, and I think I think that the film the hope film is is fairly even-handed about that.
3: I hope it's even-handed, but at the same time, I hope it can sort of initiate discussions about gender equality in yep. the arts. So that's what I really hope people will take away from it too.
1: Interesting. So another big discussion, I think, a topic that's debated a lot in the film and sort of within this sort of world in general is the debate of art versus craft, and how you define that. How do
3: you feel, how did you want the film to add to that discussion? Uh, that's just it, we wanted it to add to that discussion. Okay. We, as filmmakers, we, d- we really didn't want to take a stance of whether it could be considered as an art or only a craft. Mm-hmm. Um, we wanted to present the four characters that we, we have and show the conflicts within, within the industry of using yarn,
2: I think. Mm-hmm. I I think um, the, the the bit that I was particularly interested in, with it, and again, why um, Oleg, you know, I think she's such a strong character, is the public art side of it, the street art, if you like, um, maybe public art's a better word, um, you know, which goes all the way um, to yarn bombing or yarn storming, and um, you know, that's a that's um, that's interesting. I think there are a few art forms that happen out in the in the real world not there, and. You know, street theatre or, or, or street installations, but art can sometimes be seen as quite a rarefied thing in, in galleries. And when you do get the chance to take it out on the street to interact with people, as, 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 as Oleg does a lot, but also as Toshiko, the um, you know, with her play with her play structures, you know, that's all public art. And I find that personally really interesting, as well as filmingly, because it means you can show people actually using it, engaging with it. So, you know, I think the, the film is is probably more on the art like uh, the art side of it than on the on the craft side. And you know, make no apologies for that. It's because there was lots of interesting stuff going on in the in the art space.
1: Interesting. All right. Um, so the film's travelled go globally and obviously we're very pleased to have it here in London, in the UK. What's been so obviously you've had a Hopefully, good response from the yarn community. How have people interacted, interacted with it from the non-yarn community? <laughs> Do you have any like,
2: you know, insight in that? Um, I don't actually. Do you know one of the things about putting things um, out in the world is that you just put them out to the community now, and then they, you know, as here, everybody brings their meeting or they, you know, there's an event up on the fifth floor. I think that's wonderful. And actually, it's much better if we are controlling it in some way. Do you mean? I mean? I think putting a, putting a film out there and saying, well, you know, here it is, we've done it. we had you in mind, but we don't know the, the different ways you're going to use it. Um, it's, it's, that's what I wanted to do at the beginning. I wanted to find something like, like I was saying, with baking, mm-hmm. which is ordinary, which everybody does, which everybody thinks is... Is theirs, and then then here's a film for for that audience. So, you know, I've been to, I've been to other screenings. Um, the other screenings I've been to have, as it happens, been with the yarn community. So, I'm afraid I couldn't tell you what it's what it's been like when we've had non-yarners <laughs> you know, in the cinema. Community. <laughs> no one rising or anything.
1: We we
3: just released the film in Iceland, and it was screening for three weeks in the cinema and. At the premiere, we had a variety of people come to see the film. And just a, I don't know, 20% of those were in the Icelandic yarn community, I would say. And the other 80% were friends or family or colleagues, other filmmakers. And the response was just incredible. They, they really understood the film. They understood the deeper meaning within the film and really connected to it on a different level to what we experienced in the US. For example, when you see the sheep in the snow, and then Tina leaving for Barcelona in the sun, they all felt a sense of relief in the film that, they were, that the sunshine was coming for somebody in Iceland. And it, it was really nice to have people that were not connecting to it necessarily because of the yarn in the yeah, film.
1: The sort of the cultural connections that we can all sort exactly. of find within it. At the beginning, I asked, have you, you know, did you come from a yarn background, either of you? Has do it making this film sort of changed your view or has it surprised uh, you in any way? Or...
3: Just to go back to your first question, mm. although we, we don't knit and crochet, there are two other directors involved okay. in the film, and Thorla, he learned knitting at school, so we have one male knitter within the film, and Una, she, she grew up, her mother was the head of the textile department in Iceland for 25 years, and her grandfather was a weaver, so she was always around yarn. They were In Iceland, when you grow up in Iceland, you, which I haven't, you, you are always around yarn. So they connect. Sorry, and I've just taken away from your other question. No, no, of course no, It's interesting. I'm here to listen about your interesting tidbits of yarn. Um, you're telling a good yarn. so There we go.
1: Um, <laughs> I was going to say, has you know, doing this film, have you had any surprises or like, uh, you know, has it changed your opinion on something? If yes, coming from a coming from a background that's not necessarily
3: involved in yarn. Yeah. I think absolutely. I mean, just from the very beginning of the idea, even we we found out that yarn was so much bigger than what we had perhaps first perceived yeah it's completely changed our opinion and
2: um, no i think for, i mean for, for me the the um the thing i you know maybe it's particular to the people the characters we followed and i'm not going to time generalize from it but um it's the idea that that you know people who are doing um arts and crafts are often doing it for i mean, they're always doing it for a reason sometimes that reason is personal Sometimes it can be quite political. They've got something to say, and they'll find any way to say it and to tell the stories they want to tell, or you know, support the cause that they want to support. And I think um, it's great to see that you can do it, whatever your, you know, whatever materials or or medium um, you're using. You can you can have your say, I suppose. And that's the because I get I guess. Before I did think, well it is a craft, it's a domestic craft, I didn't appreciate that it was such a part of modern art, actually, mm-hmm. that textile art was you know was, was so important. And I I didn't really appreciate how wide spread it how widespread the community was. I'd sort of heard of Etsy and Ravelry and, you know, how it is on Pinterest and all that, but I I'm not sure I really appreciated it. Yeah
1: wonderful um so i really loved how the circus used yarn as a metaphor um and sort of a lot of people use that the medium as an explanation like a story for their life and their, their practice and their art um what's the main sort of story that you'd like people to take away from this film
2: well i think it's what i what i just said actually about you know if you've got something to say you'll find a you'll find a way of saying it actually i think um uh, and uh, you know the circus is a good example. I mean, she's um, uh, uh, Tilda who's the um, she's the director of the circus, and also a professor of. I think she's the only professor of the circus in Europe. <laughs> um, and museum and works in Stockholm. And uh, it, I don't know if it's if it's completely clear in the film, but the, the piece that they do called the "Mitten Piece" D-E-N-C, and um, the the, the the, uh, uh, what she's always said is that you know peace is something that you she wanted knitting peace to stand for something impossible. So you can't knit peace. Okay, she could have said anything, I suppose, but she said you can't knit peace. So it's impossible, but it's something that you should strive for. And from that she then created this circus pizza around peace. But what what inspired her to do it was a belief in you know the need to create a more peaceful world mm-hmm. so you know from I think it's brilliant to go from that to creating a, um, a bit of contemporary circus which makes use of all of those different skills that those circus performers so, have not sure if I've answered a question or not but that's a, that's a sort of a mess you know that's a message I suppose it's to say that if you're if you're if you're creative you will find a way
3: and for me for what i want people to take away from the film i think being sort of new to yarn ourselves it's really nice for um well we really hope that people can be inspired by the film and realize that you can do so much so much with yarn it's it's not just for making clothing and you know the stereotypical things you imagine with yarn which are very important but you can do so much more and i think on another level if it can help to sort of open up debate about the art and the craft debate and also about gender equality in the arts and then for me that's really important wonderful wonderful well um
1: maybe you should open it up the audience have a little Q&A
2: yeah thank you
0: Again to Christian and Heather for taking the time out to talk to us after we watched their film, or to talk. Yes, they talked to us, and I could only nod and smile back. But I think that that was enough. (laughs)
1: Yeah, and it was really nice. uh, I think thanks to everyone who came. Oh yeah, such a wonderful event, and came said hi, and yeah, hung out afterwards. Really good to meet people.
0: Yeah, as always, and it was uh, great at Hatney Picture House to uh, be so accommodating of the knitting world. Yeah. And there was beautiful, um, actually, uh, Anna of Wild and Woolly did lots of lovely decorating at uh, Hackney Pitch House to make it just the knittiest place in East London. The nittiest damn place <laughs> in East London. <laughs> so that was wonderful. So thanks, of course, to her as well and to all the vendors. We had a lovely day. Um, and on the film-related theme we've got we didn't do a top three for the previous episode as you guys might be aware although it seems like you all enjoyed Eli's hilarious uh reading yeah. of the horror stories <laughs> he, did, he did do a pretty good job i know the guy should be a voice actor am i right yeah we're gonna work on the agents now so <laughs> yeah so any uh, any requests come to us yeah, yeah um but we decided to do a little top three here yeah top
1: three films or movies Mm-hmm. talkies you know yeah. <laughs> go to the cinematic viewing theater exactly <laughs> you like to see a story with moving images I do that quite frequently well good well, I don't I can't believe we haven't done top films yet I know so it seems, seems like strange a, I think we did a, a thing uh Kate of a playful day asked us to do a little uh, guest feature that was a couple of years ago now yeah that's true And we did Christmas films yeah because I feel like I remember doing Christmas films yeah we've done top three books and yeah. top three albums yep so it seems but... logical. Within the canon of favorite things to have, <laughs> that we go for films. Indeed. Okay. Do you want to go first, Sophie? Yeah. Scott? I found this. I found this hard. I don't think I go to the cinema as much as I no, maybe used
0: to. I don't go to the cinema that much, and I'm famous amongst my friends for having a really embarrassing knowledge of films and actors. Megan despairs of me because she tries to have like quite a normal conversation about a, f- a well-known actor, and I'm like, "Who's that?
1: I don't know." <laughs> Well, hey, you know a lot of stuff about other stuff. That's true. And all the lyrics was to all the Leonard Cohen songs. That was different. We love you, Leonard. Oh, we love you, Leonard. Oh. <sighs> um,
0: okay, so, go on then, Sophie. Okay, Before I feel got.
1: like I get lost in a time warp of me liking films from when I was 15 and I still like the same films. I haven't become any more sophisticated <laughs> or, indeed, any less introspective and romantic mm-hmm. in my ideals of what the world is. Well, go on. So, hey, here we go. Number three. Number three... That introspective shoegazing classic of Wes Anderson, The Royal Tenenbaums. Ooh, good choice. Oh, thanks. That's a wonderful film. Although I've got
0: to say, it's not my favourite Wes Anderson film. What's your favourite? My favourite is uh, The uh, The Darjeeling
1: Limited. Oh, that is good. Okay, Love well. But An- anyway, not to, yeah. I think you could I could have gone for any of his because mm. as, a, as a cinematic producer, he is, uh, the colour and the consideration of how a shot is framed it's, he's very unique and he's very considerate in that. I think that's what makes a lot of his films very pleasing to watch. Yeah, they are very beautiful. The role of Turn and Bounds, I mean any of his films, has a definitive colour scheme. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of about a dysfunctional family. And I don't think it's particularly... i try to think why I like it. I don't think it's particularly the story mm. is anything dramatically mm. gripping more than mm. anyone else's uh, of the world. Yeah. But, uh, just, it's very They're always very well moving. paced as
0: well, aren't they? What was the film that came out, the more recent one, not the Budapest Hotel, but the other one about the two kids who went camping Oh, Moonrise together. Kingdom. That was lovely. That I good. really, yeah. really liked that as well. I think,
1: yeah, yeah if you haven't explored his uh, work as... His you know, oeuvre. His oeuvre. <laughs> his oeuvre. yes, that's a good phrase. Um, his oeuvre? No. What? <laughs> I think Gwyneth Paltrow was pretty ca- kick-ass in that. Um, There's a good soundtrack. Always oh, good amazing soundtrack. soundtrack. So yeah, that's true. Good. Number good. two... Uh, Seemingly introspective and quiet in its format (laughs) (laughs) Lost in Translation Interesting By Sofia Coppola? Uh With uh, Mr. Mr. (laughs) Johansson And Ms. Vildred And Ms. Murray (laughs) Two lost souls uh, finding themselves in Japan Mm -hmm. I remember talking to a friend who was from Japan And he said, yeah, that film's kind of misleading Because, you know, Japan's not that quiet And that film's (laughs) very quiet She's like, if we went to Japan, like me and him, hmm. it's like we'd we'd mess the city up like Godzilla. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I kind of understand what you mean. That sounds fun, but anyway, <laughs> side note, yeah, I think as a film again, similar to Mr. Anderson's, mm. uh, there's a nice pace and the just a little insight you have into what Japan or indeed the colours and the mm. the light and. The space and the culture. Yeah. Good soundtrack as well. She knits in it. She knits. There's a very nice little scene, <laughs> yes, where she's like, oh, is this is long enough. She's knitting a blue scarf. Uh, yeah. Something that's very quiet, zen. Yeah. Thoughtful. Yes. I, well, I've gone Mostly I've gone for films, not only favourite films, films I've watched countless times. Yeah. And will continue to do so. Mm-hmm. So number th- one, what's <gasps> it going to be? Oh, boy. It's going to be that classic, some like it hot.
0: Ah, you know I've never seen that. Oh,
1: it's a humdinger, baby! I'd put it at number one if I had to. Listen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, well, tell me about it.
1: So, uh, it's nineteen twenties, and there's two characters who—what uh, are they? The Jack Lemon and Tony Curtis. Mm-hmm. and they play instruments in a band, and then they get involved. They like overlook—not uh, overlook. What's the word? They are witnesses to mm. a f- uh, murder, mm. so they've got to hide. And what's the best way to hide? They dress up as women and are in a band that's travelling somewhere. Who else is in the band? It's Ms. Maren and Monroe playing the ukulele. Pretty cool. And the writing and the humour is so sharp. And every time I watch it, I find a bit that's funny in it that I didn't remember or mm-hmm. like. I didn't realise how clever that little play on words was, that uh, that little thing. It's very quick and great music again. Mm-hmm. This is only the one film that doesn't have Bill Murray in my other two. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a theme emerging here. If only. But uh, it's fun and it's very, yeah, it feels fresh every time you watch it, but it's endlessly enjoyable.
0: And well, I shall make sure. Because I think I might reminder. have seen bits of it, actually. I just don't see it. It's, it's, it's a classic, whole, and there's yeah. a reason
1: why it should be, you know, so highly revered in the... In the canon. In the canon. <laughs> the, <oeuvre. laughs> the world film oeuvre. Yes. So really there we cool. go. That's what I'd say. Some like a hot Jazz. <laughs> Jazz.
0: Well, interesting. So your films are all alike in, in some ways, I think, or at least the first two were. And I think my two of the three of mine will be revealing of mine. Okay, I'm interested. Answer. I don't and, know actually what
1: you picked. So. Well, I
0: think, and suddenly, now that we've been talking, I've like suddenly remembered lots of other films that I love. But I'm going to stick with my three. Okay, so at number three is a German film called uh, The Lives of Others.
1: Okay. Which I, I've heard is, of this, but I don't know anything about it. I that. actually haven't seen
0: it for years, but I watched it. It came out in sort of the mid 2000s. Um, I say that like I don't know, I actually looked it up, 2006. Oh, um, And I remember the first time I saw it just thinking it was really beautiful. And I have it on DVD actually, which I don't think I have anything that plays DVDs anymore, but you know, I'm still dedicated to I've it. I've been carrying If I just hold it up to my ear, <laughs> it's like the sea, he's like holding a shell up. I'm like. <laughs> um, but the film is about a Stasi officer who is um, like. Uh, that, so there's a playwright who the state has decided, uh, you know, is in opposition to East East Germans, East Germany's ideals. And they're being sort of listened to and tracked by this uh, Stasi officer. And he basically, so it's a playwright and his girlfriend. And the officer, it becomes clear that the reason the playwright is being tracked isn't, I mean, he probably does have anti-East German ideas, but it's mostly because One of the other agents is interested in his girlfriend, essentially. Um, And the Stasi officer who's tracking them, whose name escapes me, um, he basically becomes sympathetic with the couple. And it's just a really lovely film. But I mean, it's sad because lots of sad things happen. But I think it is very poignant. And it's also very interesting because I think when I first saw it, I didn't really know anything about um, East and West Germany or I didn't know much and apparently it's quite a kind of accurate depiction hmm. in lots of... You know, as accurate as a sort of traumatised film can be. Um, yeah. And I just... I remember absolutely loving it. And I, like I say, I haven't actually seen it for quite a long time, but um, when I was when I was thinking, what are my top three films? I was like, Lives of Others has to be in there. Hmm. And I think it's just... It's also got a lovely name. What a beautiful name for a film. Yeah. Lives of Others.
1: Interesting. It's All lovely.
0: Right, check it out. So that's that one. And okay, at number two... I have the best musical of all time, in my humble opinion, which is Cabaret yes, all right. with Liza Minnelli. It's great. She's, she's like doing jazz Bob hands. Fosse, yeah. She's doing jazz hands
1: and she's saying it. I'm like, she's going to say Cabaret. She's going to say Cabaret. Uh,
0: it was really hard to decide between this and my favourite because Cabaret, when I first saw Cabaret, I think I was probably 16 and I just fell in love with it. Uh, I love singing. I really like musicals. There are lots of bad musicals, I know, but there's lots of bad films. I don't really feel like that's <laughs> like a a slur on the genre and I think one of the good things about cabaret if you're not a fan of musicals because you know you don't like the idea of people just bursting into song all of the music in cabaret is at a cabaret nightclub more or less or it's not people there's like one bit I think where people burst into song but there's kind of context for all of the Mm -hmm. singing it's not um yeah it kind of feels a bit more like those songs might just kind of happen but Liza Minnelli is incredible um, the costumes are beautiful. The songs are absolutely brilliant. The dancing's amazing. But it's also—I think the first time I saw it, the this is weird—I've chosen two songs about uh, two films about Germany because it's set against the backdrop of the rise of Hitler, basically, and mm. the fall of the Weimar Republic. And so it's that kind of era in Germany when Berlin was one of the kind of most free and kind of exo- you know like everybody was there doing crazy cool cabaret dancing and listening to jazz and being kind of free. Um, uh, but I think, so the first time I saw it, I was just like, cool, songs, yay! And then, you know, since then, I've watched it many, many times. And it, basically from the second time I saw it, I was like, wow, how did I miss? Because it's very beautifully done, all of the references to what's going on. Because the lead story is Liza Minnelli and I think the character's name is Brian, but I forget who the uh, actor is who plays the friend that she makes, who they become romantically involved. And then there's kind of a love triangle later on. And it's just, I just love it. Basically, I've watched it many, many, many times. I used to have, I, I'm, I still do actually have the record, the soundtrack on on uh, LP. And I used to listen to it loads. Just, just the soundtrack. Don't even need to be watching the film. <laughs> and actually Cabaret is one of my favourite, um, like the, the title track is uh, one of my favourite karaoke songs.
1: Wow. A winner all round then. I this, just yeah. think
0: it's wonderful. I love it so much. Oh. It makes me really... It's one of those ones where you're like, please like it too, <laughs> otherwise you don't like me. I haven't seen it, so we're going
1: to have to do oh, that, boy. that final test of friendship. I yeah. Mean, yeah.
0: Well, okay. And then number one, uh, anybody who knows me vaguely probably already knows this, um, that my favourite film in the whole world is an animated, essentially a children's film, although it is based... On a, a fantasy novel that was written for adults.
1: I just mouthed it, Lydia. and, and I got and it right. I nodded. Yeah, I was like, "Is this?"
0: Yeah. <laughs> so the novel was written, and I have read the book. Um, I think I read it like in my early twenties, uh, and it's by a man called Peter Beagle. Mm-hmm. And the film slash book is called The Last Unicorn. And
1: basically, <laughs> so joy in your
0: face. basically, <laughs> it's been my favorite film since I was about six years old, and it in my mind it bears up to adult (laughs) viewing but I really don't know (laughs) if that's just because I love it so much um and it is it's actually well it's got loads of really brilliant voice actors in it they just happened it should have been it was one of those films that kind of almost could have been a big sort of commercial success but it was like a little bit too weird and so it just became a cult um a cult success essentially And there's a lot of fans of The Last Unicorn, but the animation is very beautiful. It's kind of um, almost anime style. And I think some of the animators who worked on it went to work for Studio Ghibli, which is quite high grade. And a lot of the backdrops, the paintings are incredibly beautiful. But it's got Christopher Lee is in it, Angela Lansbury's in it, Mia Farrow's in it Um, and a few other sort of vaguely well-known voice actors. So just that alone, like I only found that out about four years ago until then. I had no idea really that there was anyone famous in it at all um but it's a very you know it is a story about a unicorn who goes on a quest because she is the last she's like am i the last unicorn and uh is she uh well she has to save the other unicorns
1: oh okay I'm going to <laughs> i haven't seen any of the films that you've talked about uh, the oh.
0: music is written by the band america or the guy from i can't remember what his name is now yeah it's performed by the band america um they wrote songs specially for the film Which I know all the words to all of them, obviously. (laughs) Um, But I find it's like a comfort blanket. It just, if I'm feeling sad, and even though it's not got a sort of traditional happy ending in it, there is a kind of love-esque story or like several kind of relationships that grow throughout the film, but it's not got, and they lived happily ever after, as the ending, which I think is very important to me. I don't really, I don't find that a compelling ending, um and actually there's there's just so many lines that me and my brothers and sisters will quote to each other from the last unicorn and one of them is uh, there are no happy endings because nothing ends <laughs> <laughs> but actually, so there's that kind of uh, except for the film which does end but you can just watch it again guys and you know what
1: actually this <laughs> this podcast might have to end it might i know so they lied are you saying that he lied <laughs> no because the we'll, good prince lied no because we'll be back it doesn't end that's true that's true well there we go this was a little bonus short rows episode.
0: Yeah, so, uh, well, we'll be back uh, in November, as always, with a, a regular sort of full-size full size episode uh, with all the trimmings. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and we look forward to uh, chatting to you then. If you have any uh, feedback, queries, you need more short rows, you need bonus bit bubbles. you have more ideas of things that Eli can read in funny voices yeah. yeah, send us an email which is podcast at pompommag.com indeed and to keep up to date with all the info about the podcast go to pompommag.com forward slash podcast podcast exactly um, so see you then we love you bye bye by Lydia Gluck and Sophie Scott with lots of help from Eli Block who created the original music for this show for more Eli related music go to goodgirlandthbadtimes.com thanks as always to Megan
0: Fernandez the co-creator and editor of Pompom Pom Quarterly and to Amy Collins and the
1: lovely Gail thanks to our interviewees Christian Aurora and Heather Millard and of course a big thank you to all your Pompom Pom buyers subscribers and listeners if you enjoyed this podcast please
0: subscribe and why not leave a review Send any feedback or ideas to podcast at pompommag.com and don't forget to keep in touch with us via the podcast group on the Pom Pom Forum. And thanks again, of course, to The Fibre Company, our Christmas party main sponsors and the sponsors of this mini episode.